Hello, HFLC gang. I'm sure you all heard the episode a couple of weeks ago where Griffin was having audio trouble, and I was just so jealous of him that I had to do the same for myself. So my audio is not sounding ideal today. We haven't diagnosed the problem. It will not come back to haunt us in future episodes, thankfully. So enjoy my slightly questionable audio and enjoy this rant. Griffin, I am so tired of the concept of slander culture that has pervaded sports conversation in the last like 10 years or so. It feels like the way people talk about sports has shifted dramatically from being about celebrating winners and people that have success in their field to being about hating on the losers or the people that don't quite get there. Anytime you see a tweet about a prominent player, all the replies will be about how they haven't won a ring or how another player is better or how XYZ defeated them in a playoff series. And that means that they are a worthless person. It's a reflection of the human condition, I feel like, but maybe not one that we should be proud of. You can celebrate someone's success without it coming at the expense of someone else. I don't, I know you're a fan of LeBron James. Even though I think that Michael Jordan is a greater player all time, that doesn't take anything away from LeBron's accomplishments. And I'm still going to want LeBron to achieve more because it's awesome to watch one of the best players of all time play the game. That's what we should be celebrating as sports fans. And I think the media contribute to this as well. I mean, I love Stephen A. Smith. I think he is one of the funniest sports personalities of all time. But to some degree, he has built his career on being a hater. You can argue that there's a certain amount of irony that people aren't actually hating as much as they might appear to be, but when that irony is amplified and normalized and becomes 100% of the conversations 100% of the time, it just becomes toxic. I don't actually think that any of this is going to change anytime soon, and there are lots of people out there who are interested in talking sports in an enjoyable, positive way, but I'm pretty much over people hating for its own sake. And speaking of irony that has become toxic, it's time for another episode of High Floor, Lucy Ling. Chris, I know we don't like to talk about the rants after the rants in the main body of the podcast, but I just want to say that was one of my favorites, I think, that we've had. I could not agree more, except wow. for when you said Michael Jordan was better than LeBron James, I and I, would, uh... I hate you, and I want a new <laughs> co-host. That was sort of Huey Lewis-esque, your cadence there. Do you know that song? I want a new drug? No, I can't say I do, but I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I want a new co-host. Um, <laughs> welcome, everyone. <laughs> It's a high floor, low ceiling, the sports podcast that you are listening to now. I'm joined today by Griffin on a Monday morning. We are recording this. How are you today, Griffin? I'm doing well, Chris. Uh, we were originally supposed to record on a Sunday morning, but um, that would have been special. that would have been a uh, less than call. like 12 hours after the Toronto Maple Leafs had lost, and so I would have come in with a sad energy. Is there anything worse? as a sports fan than the day after a playoff loss. Cause it's just like, you've got the entire year stretched out in front of you, the whole <laughs> off season. And then worse than that, the whole regular season next year, that doesn't matter. Like a, a playoff wow. loss when your team was a championship contender, 
Like that is just the worst feeling because like nothing matters until next year's playoffs, especially for the Toronto Maple Leafs at this point. None of it's relevant. Nothing that happens in the regular season matters. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it is kind of sad. They're very much in the freezer, especially because, you know, sometimes if there's a bad playoff loss, you can look forward to, you know, changes coming to your team. Like, I think, like, whether that's a coaching change or players being traded or whatever. But, I mean, maybe we should just jump in here, uh, at least for the Maple Leafs. I feel like they don't, like, I don't see what changes you would really want to make to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is that unfair to say? No, I think you are spot on with that one. I think that changes either to management or coaching or the core of the roster would be a big mistake. Um, this was not, like, one of the worst parts about this year's playoff loss is that there's no one to get mad at. Like, last year when they lost to Montreal, was infuriating. You wanted them all drawn and quartered. Like, it was (laughs) a disgusting display. But this year, they played so well. They were, I think, the better team in Game 6. I think they were the better team in Game 7. And they just, they ran into a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal hockey team in the Tampa Bay Lightning. But, like, no one on the Leafs really had a bad series um, yeah, I know not especially none of the top players really had a bad series. I mean, I was thinking like when I was looking at the other playoff matchups, I was like the LA Kings, <laughs> like the Edmonton Oilers went to seven against like, oh, they would easily beat the LA yeah. Kings <laughs> or like the Penguins or the Rangers or, you know, teams like that, like or Boston. I think like, you know, maybe Boston is a different story, but I look at a lot of teams and I'm like, they would have beat those teams. And, you know, I mean... Andre Vasilevsky had an amazing Game 7. He was the best goalie in a Game 7 until last night. Um, and, but I also thought Jack Campbell had an amazing game. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to... I, I think, you know, we're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns in a little bit. But I think that it's a similar thing where to, to say that they are somehow, like, inherently flawed or that there's, like, some sweeping change needed, I think you're looking at the result rather than the process because I think that the Toronto Maple Leafs did, did everything they could. And I think that they are, like, you know, I think obviously the series showed that they're on the same level as the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think that the Tampa Bay Lightning stack up well against, you know, whoever you want to say is the other contender. Well, I guess, like, the Avalanche maybe are a little bit ahead of everyone, but... A Carolina, for example, I think that they stack up competitively against anyone else in the conference, basically. Yeah, the the, the Tampa Bay Lightning are bona fide, bona fide Stanley Cup contenders. Like hell, they're the back to back Stanley Cup champions, mm-hmm. and um, and the Leafs took them to games a one goal game seven. Like it might have even been a tied game seven, depending on your feelings about uh, that interference <laughs> penalty, but. Um, yeah, no, I think that, like you said, Chris, we have a tendency to look at anything that happens in the playoffs with a 10 times magnifier, but especially for this Toronto Maple Leafs team. But I really do think that, like, there's nothing more that Kyle Dubas could have done to make this team good. Um, there's nothing more that his top players could have done in that series. I mean, I guess there's technically always something more, but. Yeah, sure. Uh, Like, it really was, yeah, like you said, the process was there, the process was sound, and it was their best season ever and their best playoff performance ever with this group. I don't think they've ever had a better one. 
Yeah, I think what's more sad even than it being like they lost again in Game 7, blah, 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 because I think that, you know, especially like having this result, had they, say, even just won in the first round last year and, you know, maybe lost in the second round, I think that it would be so much more understandable because just because, like, it wouldn't be about Toronto losing another Game 7. It would just be about them losing to the Lightning. And I think when you look at that in a vacuum, that that's not a horrific playoff loss. And, you know, I think there are times when a playoff loss will be indicative of sort of some more fundamental flaws in a roster. But in this situation, and I think in a lot of situations, you know, like, I saw people talking about the Bucks in this way. I think there's, a, like like I said, a tendency to sort of look at the result and be like, well, the Bucks lost, and so therefore they are flawed, and the Celtics won, and so therefore, like, you know, not to put anyone specifically on blast, but I was looking at, like, Kevin O'Connor's Twitter, and <laughs> after the Bucks-Celtics game, he was like, oh, the Celtics, like, they're such, like, a, an amazingly, like, constructed team. Like, they have Jason Brown and J- or J- J- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like, and basically, like, praising the way their roster is constructed and then being like, oh, the Bucks have some serious, like, soul-searching to do this offseason. You know, Grayson Allen, he's so bad. I Like, it's so clear to me when I look at stuff like that that it's like, oh, like, if they had won, then you'd just be like, oh, the Bucks, like, Giannis, he's the greatest player in the world. And if the Celtics lost, you'd be like, the Celtics lost again. They need to look at themselves and figure out what's going on here. Trade Jalen Brown. Like, it's so results-based and especially, like, when you're on Twitter the day of a game seven, it's mm. just like, oh, like, let's just calm down for a second. Yeah, and luckily the people who run these teams for the most parts uh, are, are are able to take a week and sort of step <laughs> back. Um, because, yeah, some of the trades that get made in the hours after a playoff loss are truly, truly <laughs> astonishing. Yeah, I mean, goodbye to DeAndre Ayton. I've seen a lot of trades for him floating oh, around good. already. Thank um, well, God. We sort of, we sort of, I mean, did you see him play last night, Chris? He's terrible. The Suns <laughs> need to trade him. I Did you hear that he asked not to be put in the fourth quarter? No, I did not hear that. That what, is, what do you that think is about that? a real talk radio scandal right there. It is a talk radio scandal. But then I'm like, that could potentially, if he were to play in that game, in that fourth quarter where it was basically like they had been mathematically (laughs) eliminated already (laughs) and he were to get injured and potentially lose out on like tens of millions of dollars Mm. on his next contract. Like that would be one of like the worst things to ever happen. Yeah. And I hear that. I really do. (laughs) Like you said, NBA rules are that you need like 0.3 seconds to get a shot up. So I'm pretty sure it was physically impossible for Phoenix to overcome that deficit in the fourth quarter by that rule. But um, on the other hand, it is game seven of the playoffs. And even though it's right for like it, for him, it's the right decision to not go in because like you said, there is no chance that they win that game. And what's he going in for? At the same time, I do think that there is something to be said for the fact that you're a professional athlete and your job is to play when your coach tells you to play. I I would agree in most situations. Like, I have no problem with like Chris Paul going in there or Devin Booker going in there. But DeAndre Ayton, he's on his rookie contract. He's about to be a restricted free agent. He's about to get paid, like, almost certainly at least $100 million. Right. And so it's like, let's say he gets injured and then he ends up signing like 
a four year or like a, a I don't know like a one year eight million dollar contract. Like you're potentially losing out on such an obscene amount of money that like I can't really begrudge anyone. And like even if it were a twenty point game, that would be maybe a different story. But they were literally down forty points. Bless no, me. yeah, I know you're right, but I just I don't know. There's and. Yeah. All right. I'll concede. I'll concede an HFLC <laughs> point to Chris for uh, put it on the board and for speaking, his athletes' rights take. <laughs> sure. And speaking of an HFLC point, we kind of backed into our main segment here, talking about all the game sevens that we had uh, over the last couple of days. It was an amazing weekend uh, with a lot of game sevens in hockey and basketball. But I wanted to quickly jump back uh, for a quick intangible, Griffin. Last week we picked. Uh, you know, there were all the 2-2 series, and we picked two teams that we thought had the potential to lose Game 5 and then go on to win the series. We flopped on both of them. I picked the St. Louis Blues uh, to potentially lose Game 5 and go on to win. You picked the Washington Capitals. Uh, the Blues ended up winning the series in six games, and the Capitals, of course, lost in Game 7. Uh, I didn't actually check on the information here to see if there was... I guess, no, because the Rangers were down 3-1, so they didn't. Uh, you you vamp for a bit, and I will check the intel here to see if any team right. did actually do that. Chris, I do have to say that uh, one person who I would really bring back for the Toronto Maple Leafs, this is going to be niche content, is Colin Blackwell, the fourth line, mm. or who they picked up uh, in the Mark Giordano deal. I loved his hustle and heart to quote an old Toronto Blue Jays team motto. Um, you remember that when the Blue Jays had uh, their team motto was hustle and heart. I actually do not. Sorry. Oh, well <laughs> now this, now this uh, segment is no longer interesting, but uh, Colin Blackwell, big shout out to him. And also last night in that uh, game between Dallas and Phoenix, a huge shout out to, to Reggie Bullock, Chris, we were talking before the podcast, mm. a plus 44, despite only scoring five points. Uh, that is truly something for him. Maybe an ind- an indicator that plus minus uh, is a very flawed stat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also, a big shout out to Boban Marjanovic for somehow being a minus 12 in three minutes in like a 40-point win. Boban really wow. came out. Gave the Suns a little bit of hope. So, <laughs> seems like a great guy. Seems like a great guy. Sure. Um, I ha- have the information here. I do not believe any of the NHL teams lost Game 5 and went on to win the series. But both of the NBA teams did. The Suns beat the Mavericks by 30 in uh, in Game 5. A lot, of, a lot of blowouts. I didn't even realize that... Game 5, the Suns won by 30. Game 6, the Mavs won by 27. And then, of course, the Game 7 that we're going to talk about in a little bit here. Or maybe we should just talk about it now. uh, The Mavs winning by 33 against the defending Western Conference champions. They go on to their first Western Conference finals. Uh, I mean, like, Luka Doncic, he had an amazing game. He had 35 points on 12 of 19 shooting. He had six three-pointers. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie was also <laughs> playing out of his mind. He had like 30 points, but like, it doesn't, it, it's not a game where you feel like they like 
where there's anything that like really, really jumps off the page. You know, like it's not like Luca had like 55 points, you know? Yeah, he had 27 in the first half. He tied the Suns in the first half, 27, 27. And then he thought, Oh, 50 on the table, but only 35. I'm sure he didn't play that many minutes once the game got out of reach. I turned it off after like the start of the third quarter when Dallas came out and went like five for five to start the third quarter. I was like, okay, now that's enough. And then I went and watched uh, Death on the Nile, the new. Uh, wow. Kenneth what did you think Bond. of Death on the Nile? I liked it. I liked it. The twist, a little predictable. I won't say anything sure. more than that. I, I called it, but, um, I, I love Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. Uh, You'll pardon my flawless French accent. Uh, I think it's a very entertaining character, and I'm a sucker for a whodunit. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I mean, speaking of stats that don't necessarily indicate how good a player is, Luka Doncic, a 161 offensive rating (laughs) in that game I'm just seeing here. I'm just saying that might apply to Luka Doncic. He's, He's pretty spectacular. He... He absolutely is spectacular. I mean, like, they shot 49% from three, and I was literally saying this before the game started, that when Dallas, when their role players especially make their threes, I mean, Luka was 6 for 11 by himself, so that definitely helps things as well, but when the Dallas role players make their threes, they can truly be pretty much anyone, and I mean, they showed that against the Suns here. But then also, their defense, like you said, I mean, 27 points and a half, should not be humanly possible, especially for a team that, you know, was ostensibly the best team in the NBA. Like, I think that a lot of people, a lot of people did have their doubts about the Suns. And of course, like, you know, we're talking about sort of basing your opinions on results. Now that, of course, that like makes perfect sense because there was this certain air of like, they didn't have an MVP player on their roster, really. They weren't as spectacularly like dominant as some other teams that won over 60 games have been. But I still think it's fair to say that they were the team to beat in the league, right? Yeah, for sure. Even though people had their doubts about Phoenix with that lack of a truly elite player, like Dallas had the best player in the series and it showed last night. Um, I still think that they were absolutely the leading championship contender. And now I guess it's Boston, but I really don't know. It's any, I could very easily see any of these four teams winning the NBA championship. Yeah, I think I give a pretty firm edge to Boston. I'll have to see how Golden State plays in this Western Conference Finals because they feel like a team that can turn it up at the right time for sure. Um, just talking with the Suns briefly because they sort of have this spectacular flame out. You know, one of, I'd say, would you say, is this the most disappointing playoff performance in terms of like where they were. I mean, I think broadly speaking, this is like a firmly not quite 73 win warriors top tier or like Dallas uh, in 2007, losing the first round to the warriors. Wow. That's a rematch. I didn't even think about that. Oh man. Revenge Um, for Dirk. (laughs) Revenge for Dirk. Uh, you know, I think it's a pretty firmly like a big failing for the Suns to go out before the conference finals with the season that they had. But just from a game perspective, it's one of the worst playoff, like single game playoff performances ever. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know about the worst off the top of my head. But yeah, to be the best team in the NBA, like wire to wire all season long, and then to come out and lay such a massive, massive egg. 
Like we, yeah, it's got, I mean, I can't think of a bigger egg than anyone has ever laid than 27 points in the first half. It was like, was this a pre shot clock era game? Like what? <laughs> how is that even possible? 27 I, points, 10, 10 points in the second quarter is unbelievable. <laughs> I, I truly just can't even conceive of that. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about sort of the idea of like results based thinking here. We've talked a little bit about DeAndre Ayton. Do you think that the Suns are due for any kind of significant change? I mean, Chris Paul, he's under contract. You know, I think next year, I feel pretty confident he will still be with the Suns. His contract, you know, I think it's $15 million of it is guaranteed in 2023. And then unguaranteed in 2024. So I think it's much easier to divest yourself of Chris Paul a year from now uh, if you that is the route you want to take. But obviously DeAndre Ayton going into restricted free agency. They have a lot of role players that could potentially be on the move. Do you think that they need to make any kind of significant changes to their lineup? Or do you just feel like they can chalk this up to we <laughs> had one of the worst performances ever? in a game seven and that is like the motivation to improve rather than we need to trade someone yeah i think that they will end up running it back if nothing else because their hands are sort of tied i certainly don't think you can take this one night where every single player on the team had an off night at the same time and use that to make any like drastic decisions about your franchise going forward but i do think someone who is sort of at least I see a lot of people talking about Chris Paul. I see a few people talking about Aiden. No one's really thrown any shade Devin Booker's way, who is supposed to be their best player. The 25, 5, and 5 guy. Like he is, this was supposed to be the year where he took another step and like, I mean, I guess at this point it's just not going to happen. I don't, do you think at now Devin Booker will ever be like a top five NBA player like if he didn't do it this year if he just came out and participated in that massive egg laying like that was supposed to be the game Luca stepped up Luca showed up in game seven Devin Booker supposed to be his offensive match for Phoenix and he didn't match it he couldn't do it so I think that a lot of people need to look at Devin Booker's way and I don't think I think this proved that Devin Booker cannot be the best player on a championship contender yeah, I mean, if if not this game, then this series, I think it's fair to say that that is a pointer to that. I have never been the biggest Devin Booker fan, simply because I think that that type of player is a little, almost like outdated in today's NBA. Where like, your best player can't really be a guy who is mostly just giving you scoring. Like, you need... Like you, you, you really you need to be an elite scorer, and then you also need to have like an elite secondary skill. And I, I guess like Kevin Durant would be the closest thing, but then he has like elite size, and so it's a lot easier for him to to create his own shots in the playoffs and things like that. But it's like you look at Giannis, where like he's an elite scorer, and he's also maybe probably the def- the best defensive player in the league, an elite rebounder, a really good playmaker. You look at Jokic, he's an elite scorer. He, you know, as one of the best passers of all time, he's an elite rebounder. Embiid, he's one of the best scorers in the league. He's an elite rebounder. He is a pretty good playmaker. I wouldn't say he's really that much better than Devin Booker in that regard, but protects the that, rim. Yeah. Or even a LeBron. Yeah. You know, I think, I think we, I think the NBA has changed sufficiently that a LeBron 
or a Jokic is more in the mold of what you need out of the best player on a championship team than a Devin Booker who, like, he might give you 45 points in a playoff game, but he's not probably going to give you much more than that. Right. So are we feeling like a, like, DeMar DeRozan career for Devin Booker? Maybe a bit better? Um, a bit better. I mean, he's already shown some stuff in the playoffs, whereas DeRozan, I think, pretty consistently uh, does not show much in the playoffs. But, you know, I think he is really, really solid. I would like to see what he could do once Chris Paul eventually leaves this team, whenever that does happen. Like, what he can do is, like, the sort of the clear-cut number one, like a Donovan Mitchell, where he's handling the ball more on, like, every single possession almost. Um, just quickly before we move on, I want to give you some stats because I saw a lot of people crapping on Chris Paul last night and saying that, like, oh, Chris Paul, I mean, to go back to my rants, like, Chris Paul always comes up short in the playoffs. He's blown 2-0 leads. Like, for some reason, that's the stat that people <laughs> like to point to. Like, oh, the 2-0 lead, that famous thing that everyone uh, talks about all the time. Uh, some quick numbers, Griffin. 22 points and 11 assists average in round one. 22 points and 8 assists in last year's finals. 24 points and 9 assists in last year's conference finals, coming off of an injury where he didn't play the first two games. And then 25 points and 10 assists in last year's round two. So, like, that, to me, that is Chris Paul's track record. I thought that we had sort of exercised this whole playoff narrative around Chris Paul when he went to Houston. Um, and, you know, you can talk about his teams not having success, but, like, this is a guy who pretty consistently, and this was a bad series for him, there's no doubt about it, this is a guy that pretty consistently has really good performances in the playoffs. Yeah, like you said, you can't argue with those numbers. And, I mean, I, I'm i with you in that. I really would love to see Chris Paul get a championship. I think he's one of the greatest point guards of all time. I'm not alone in that. That's not me going out on any kind of ledge. But uh, he's such a phenomenal player, such a like really unique player, especially in today's game and the, just the way that he approaches the game, the way that his mind works above everyone else in the NBA, except for maybe LeBron James, like in terms of basketball IQ. Uh, and I know that people think that, oh, he's a bit of a flopper. Like they don't like that he'll point out an untucked jersey or stuff like that. But for me, I can't fathom rooting against this guy. I'm full of so much admiration for like a, an average size, not particularly, not super athletic guy who has come out and established himself as one of the greatest players in NBA history. Like, that's great to me. And I like, it's a hater culture, Chris, in today's day and age. And it's like, grow up, appreciate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think people forget that for a long time in like the late two thousands and early 2010s, I mean, they, I think sort of like once Kobe had sort of hit his peak and was on the downswing for a long time, it was like the best players in the league were LeBron Durant and then third I think was always firmly Chris Paul some people would talk about Carmelo Anthony but I feel like history has really vindicated us Chris Paul people uh, <laughs> significantly in that regard but yeah I mean like and also like I I love a two-way player he's one of the best defensive guards ever which I don't think he gets enough love for as well but yeah I agree one of one of the great players in NBA history I I'd like to see him get a ring, but I don't know if that's happening at this point. 
But let's quickly, since we, yeah, we spent a little bit of time here on a couple of series, Griffin, let's quickly run through a, a few of the other Game 7s that were going on over the weekend. Uh, Carolina and Boston. Carolina took this one. Uh, two goals from Max Domi. Weirdly a theme uh, where a sort of unlikely player scores a couple of goals, sort of the Nick Paul of his game. Um, I thought Carolina was the better team throughout this series. Uh, and so the only question I think really here is how good are the Hurricanes? Like, do you see them as, I, I almost would say, well, I guess between Tampa and Carolina, who do you, who, uh, you know, we talked about you, you thinking the Panthers were fraudulent uh, <laughs> last week. So between K- Tampa and Carolina, who are you picking as the team to beat in the East? Yeah, I think that's definitely how I imagine we'll see an Eastern Conference final, especially if the Hurricanes can get uh, Frederick Anderson back. But between those two teams, like just I think that Tampa has been there before. Chris, if I could um, divulge a little bit, I got to attend a couple of the press conferences for the Tampa Bay Lightning before both Game 1 and Game 7 and after Game 7. And I got a sense that this... Like this team is not resting on their loyals, laurels. Pardon me. They are hungry. They talked about wanting it for the new guys who haven't been a part of the first two years. They've got a bunch of those actually. Like this is as strong, I think, as we've ever seen the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have maybe the wow. best coach in the NHL and John Cooper. I think that Tampa Bay, like Colorado, still clearly the best team in the league until proven otherwise. But I think that Tampa Bay should certainly be the Eastern Conference favorites at this point. Yeah, there's a certain... I think there are two types of sort of teams coming off of championships where it's there's either the team where it's like, we just won a championship, so we don't need to like really try or worry about this. And then there's the team that's like, we won a championship. I mean, especially for Tampa, because they've won two now. But that it's like, we've won a championship and therefore we know that we can beat any team. And that's what it really feels like for Tampa. I mean, like I think that they were certainly threatened by the Maple Leafs. I mean, that was a very tight game and a very tight series, but I think they come into every series, no matter the opponent and are like, well, we can beat these guys. We literally just won two championships. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, they, the Toronto Maple Leafs gave them a really, really tough test. I think they gave them a better test than the Bruins gave the Hurricanes. Um, and I think they gave them a far better test than the Panthers gave the Avalanche. And I mean, there's the whole Predators. Yes. The Predators gave the Avalanche. Who did I say? Panthers. I did that both. last episode too. I think I mixed up the Predators and the right. Panthers. Oh, I think you did. Yeah. Anyways, both P, both, they both have like the fangs. The cats. Yeah. yeah it's not my cats. fault. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, you're going to have to keep an ear out for that. You're going to have to keep correcting me, I think. But, um, yeah, so I think that that matters in the playoffs that you get tested early on and that you can sort of lock in a playoff mentality. So I think that that, I mean, obviously it's tough to play a hard, tough fought seven game series, but I do think that gives them the edge going forward. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right there. Um, a couple of other, you know, we all, all, steal your format from last week griffin and ask you some quick questions uh speaking of quick jonathan quick uh the edmonton oilers <laughs> defeating the los angeles kings in seven games uh obviously Connor mcdavid had that crazy goal at the end the sort of individual effort to to seal it for them 
my question for you, Griffin, is, is Mike Smith good? Because <laughs> he had the shutout in Game 7. He had the big giveaway in Game 1. He sort of goes back and forth. He has been quite solid since that sort of mental lapse uh, in that game. But is he a goalie? Is he a starting goalie on a championship team? Let's put it that way. Uh, the answer is sometimes. <laughs> Mike Smith might be the streakiest player in the NHL. Like he is either as good as a goalie can get, or he is not very good at all. Um, and if he can get hot at the right time, which is honestly a big part of the NHL playoffs every year, I feel like is a goalie getting hot at the right time. Uh, then the, the, this Oilers team is capable of good things, but I, they're certainly the underdogs against Calgary who have a consistently really good goalie in Jacob Markstrom. So I think that Mike Smith is good, but he's 40, and I think that the Oilers still need to find a long-term solution to their goaltending problem. This is 40. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it briefly, but I mean, talking about goalies, the Calgary-Dallas game, I think that was like, I think that was the best game of the weekend, the perfect way to close out the weekend with one of, you know, I haven't watched, like we talked about previously, I haven't watched a ton of NHL in my lifetime, but that game from Jake Ottinger, I think, was about as good as I've ever seen a goalie play. You know, he was getting hung out to dry a lot. He was having to make saves himself a lot. 64 saves. Dal- uh, Calgary outshot Dallas 67 to 28. I saw a couple of stats that it's like one of the largest shot deficits ever, the largest shot deficit ever in a game seven, things like that. And then you have the Johnny Gaudreau overtime winner to finally seal it. Um, I was I was saying yesterday that if I know anything about the NHL, Jake Ottinger next year will have like a 4.5 goals against average. And he'll get replaced by a rookie named Lars, is what I said. <laughs> um, I, that is spot on. But yeah, like so. So you do think that Calgary is the the clear better team here? Yeah, I mean they ran into a tough team in Dallas, who just plays such a defensive, grinding style of hockey that really slowed down the Flames' best players. Calgary does not play that way. Um, I mean. Like, all due respect to the Oilers and Connor McDavid, who's obviously incredible, but the Flames are so, so good. They're a great team, really greatly coached. Uh, so I think you've got to give them the edge in this series, but it's going to be a fantastic series. Yeah, I'm really excited for that series, actually. I think there's probably going to be a lot of scoring, a lot of high-tempo offense, things like that. Um, last one here, Griffin. I don't really care that much about Pittsburgh and the Rangers, respectfully. Like, that was... Not that enjoyable of a series. You know, the main highlight was like a guy ate some pork, and that was like all people talked about for like four games. Um, I think game seven was one of the less entertaining series. I still came away feeling like Pittsburgh was probably better, and they sort of blew it a little bit, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but Milwaukee and Boston, Griffin, a pretty convincing win for Boston. Really solid defensive performance. Grant Williams, sort of the hero there, made a bunch of three-pointers. Actually, I was seeing tied the record for the most three-pointers made in a Game 7. Yeah, which, crazy. Which is crazy to think it's about. only seven. Yeah, that, you know, I feel like the because the three-pointer and, like, the three-point barrage is so new that, like, the records are always lower than you think, like... It is kind of surprising that for a long time, the three-point record was, like, 12 in a game or something. Um, 
But the Boston Celtics, Griffin, are they, I think it's totally fair to say at this point that they're the favorites in, in the league right now. Should they be like the prohibitive favorites? Should they be clearly a, a big gap above everyone else? Because they have the top end talent. They are getting contributions from their depth pieces. Al Horford is playing like as well as he has ever played in his career. Should they be like the the juggernaut at this point? Should they be the prohibitive favorites in the league? Yeah, I think so. Like <laughs> they just, I mean, it was a great series, but M- Milwaukee fluked out, not fluked out, but certainly needed a tough, tough game five win that involved a Boston collapse to even get to game seven. They just, very readily handled the defending champions. No Chris Middleton, sure, caveat. But Boston looked very, very comfortable that entire Game 7. And I know we just ranted against results-based performances, but in the playoffs where there's only like three weeks or four weeks left in the whole season here, I think that can energize them. I think that like the Heat, I think people underrate because, like Uh we said, that lack of a top-10 player. But... um. They looked good against Philly, but I think Boston's certainly the favorite there, and I I wouldn't favor either the Warriors or the Mavericks against the Celtics in a seven-game series. I think they're certainly the championship favorites at this point without any real room for anyone else. Yeah, I almost feel like the Heat are going a little underrated because their series haven't been close. Mm. And, you know, there was the whole thing with Embiid being injured that sort of cast a pall over their second-round series, but... You know, they're a really solid team. I mean, it, it really just all depends on Kyle Lowry, I think, in that series, because I think his presence will be a big difference maker for them. But yeah, I think I would agree with you that Boston does feel like the team to beat right now. And I mean, like, Ime Udoka, I think, you know, the the coach is maybe the most results-based position yes. in all of sports, but like, you have to give some credit to him and the way that he has the team playing, because I think that this is the best iteration of the Celtics we've seen over this little five-year run, right? Where they've sort of been in the mix in the conference files and things like that. Yeah, this is certainly, I mean, unless you're going back to like the Isaiah Thomas days. Um, and even then this is better than that. So yeah, I guess we're going back to the Kevin Garnett days. Pardon me for uh, the last time the Celtics looked this good. I, I'm really a big fan of, I'm not a big fan of this team because I hate Boston, but I <laughs> admire this team. I think that they play great defense. They've got Jason Tatum, who, I mean, might be, like next year might be an MVP pick, like an yeah. early season decent odds MVP pick, um, if you want to get into a little gambling. but Yeah, I... I do feel like he is someone who, like, that sort of comes up a lot, and he never really, like, I think almost because the team is so solid, he's not really going to be a guy who's scoring, like, 30-plus a game, which I think you sort of need to do to be an MVP candidate in today's league. But, you know, he's certainly going to be in the mix, and certainly a, a player that pretty consistently has great performances in the postseason. Um, yeah, so some some second round coming up in the NHL, some conference finals coming up in the NBA. I think we'll probably just be revisiting those matchups again next week. Uh, but you know, hey, what can you do? It's, as you said, I believe last week, Griffin, the best time of the year in sports. That it is, and it's also the best time for us to take a break. 
That is a wonderful segue, Griffin. We are going to take a break. We will be talking about uh, some warm weather when we come back on High Floor, Low Ceiling. And welcome back to High Floor, Low Ceiling. We, you know, Griffin, I have not mentioned yet, we have entered a new month. It is worth noting. Oh my god. (laughs) We're 16 days past the new month. How was... Oh, I forget April? what April was. A- April? April. Oh, God, yeah. Which was just movies you like. Uh, pretty much. Uh, April was not the most successful month that we've had, but hey, you know, sometimes these months are successful, sometimes people are busy. Uh, I started a new job in April, so I think I have some level of uh, defense for that one, but... I mean, we're halfway in here, Griffin, to a, a really solid month, in my opinion. This is actually, Griffin, there are two themes this month. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and I think you already know at this point that these months are mostly picked on the pun that can be created. Uh, sometimes it's a bit of a stretch. but uh, So, Griffin, I would like to welcome you, even though we are 16 days into the proceedings here, I would like to welcome you into Anagation. So it's both Animation, which is the month of May, and you watched animated films, and it is also Gay, which is like May, but with a G, uh, where we celebrate LGBTQ cinema. So we are we're working with a double theme, Anagation. That is an excellent theme. Chris, I love that. Uh, the double pun is truly incredible. Um, I like that you didn't just go with gay uh, for your title of the month. It you added also, in the animation, right? Yeah, and you know, there's some LGBT uh, animated cinema out there, so we got to dive into that. Um, it is a little weird, perhaps, to be doing gay the month before Pride Month. <laughs> but, you know, the month of June should have been rhymed with the gay if it wanted to be featured and very these. true and you know i believe that it's okay to be gay even when it's not pride month um wow so a powerful don't stand from don't call me a ally. hero please um, you're just a person um but griffin we another thing that is happening in the month of may is that it is getting hot out there baby as rob thomas once sang about it's a hot one uh i mean I'm loving it. Are you loving the the temps that we're experiencing here in Toronto? Absolutely not. I'm a cold weather person. I it went from like eight degrees to twenty four in the span of like a week. There was no spring (laughs) in Toronto. Here, it's a nice rainy day today, which I love. I opened all the windows uh, because I love watching the rain. But I do not like the heat, Chris. I would way, way rather be too cold than too hot. But with that being said, I do like the activities of summer. Wow, what a great segue, even though I still have more to say about <laughs> Okay, well then, <laughs> set me up again later. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with you. I would rather be too cold than too hot. I am a famously warm-blooded person. I'm a famously <laughs> sweaty person, which is a huge problem in the summer months. And that is true. As much as I love the summer rain, the summer rain usually means extremely high humidity. And so that is a real problem for me as a, as a sweatster. Uh, But, but we do the best we can. And I, 
the, I think the the thing that I enjoy the most when it's not raining, Griffin, is that I have a chance to get outside and potentially like maybe do some stuff. That is very true, Chris. You just had to steal the segue for yourself. I I was um, I didn't know how to tee you up. Like what what was I supposed to say? Like, you shut down you my segue just because you had more to say, and then all that hey. you had to say was your own setup for your own segue. <laughs> That um, sounds like Paul Blart's worst enemy is someone who can shut down a Segway. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> nice Kevin James pull there. Um, Not our first Kevin James pull, I will say. <laughs> Go listen to our home team review. I was literally uh, going to start this segment with it by saying that I hope that this uh, thing that we're about to do is less contentious than the last time we did it. It got really <laughs> ugly last time, and then you started off by stealing the Segway glory for yourself. So, looks like that's not happening. I suppose not. But, Griffin, we are returning to one of our favorite uh, segments. Uh, a few months ago, we did the winter activities draft where we picked some athletes that we would want to uh, get out in the snow and have some fun with. And we are now picking some summer activities. We are having some fun in the sun. Uh, May 2-4 weekend coming up, baby. Hey. Uh, we will surely be having some fun then. Not you and I, but just in no, general. No, we don't hang out. <laughs> Come on, we do a podcast together. That's enough. <laughs> yeah. An hour and a half a week. Plenty. Speaking of an hour and a half, we're probably going to go long today because I'm sure this is going to get ugly. Uh, so a little bonus content coming your way. I'm going to predict. I, I think that this is going to be tight, actually, because I think that I have all these picks down. Uh, we've picked five I'm sure popular summer activities. Uh, that we are going to draft some athletes for, and then of course we will we will give it to the people to decide who the superior foe is here. I put my answers in the Google Doc, and then you hate yours. I don't. I you say. would have stolen mine. <laughs> my, I have the answer key. The teacher does not give out the the master <laughs> copy of the test before the test. Oh, very well put, Griffin. Uh, I will, in the spirit of good competition, I will allow you to go first in our first uh, category for the draft, the Cottage Weekend. So I'm picturing this as you're taking a drive up, you're going up the Don Valley Parkway, maybe about two hours to get to the cottage. Uh, you're going to have some drinks, you're going to hang out, you're probably going to go swimming, uh, you're going to, you know, chill out at the cottage outside, maybe do some sun tanning. So a, a, a myriad of activities uh, over the course of this weekend. Griffin, who are you bringing along to enjoy this cottage weekend with you? Yes, Chris. Well, first of all, I just want to say I have no doubt that you giving me the first pick has no doubt like engineered its way into you getting the first pick on what you think the most contentious <laughs> category might be or something like that. There's no way you're just handing out first picks for free. I know you. Um, and that evil giggle makes me think that I'm spot on there. But I don't even care if you have the advantage because for a cottage weekend, you want someone who can make fun in a laid back atmosphere. Someone who's fun to talk to, but they don't need like an event to be interesting. So I am going with a Olympic gold medalist, a multi-time Olympic gold medalist, a fantastic judge on the great, great show Battle of the Blades, a former contestant. I am taking a member of the Canadian national hockey team, Natalie Spooner, to go on a cottage weekend wow. with me. 
She's a very uh, charismatic person. She's a lot of fun. Uh, she seems like uh, she's like really a big uh, presence in her team's locker room as someone who is looked up to. And I think that she can make fun out of any situation. Wow. I love that pick, Griffin. I think that, that is a great choice. I love the, the Canadian content. Great for a cottage weekend. I... I wouldn't say I applied the same logic in my pick, but I certainly applied, I think, of a version of your logic because I think an underrated element of the Cottage Weekend is that some someone who can manage the energy, you know, because I think that a common mistake people make is you try and cram too much into a weekend, you go too hard over the Cottage Weekend, and then you just end up feeling burned out. And so, like, on saturday afternoon you feel bad and you don't want to drink on saturday night because you drank too much on friday night things like that so i want someone who can bring a lot of energy but then can also sort of manage those energy levels and i've gone i've gone off the board here griffin a more obscure pick this is a rookie uh in their league this year this is someone who i just sort of stumbled upon when i was keeping up to date on my wnba uh, her name is Queen Egbo. Have you heard of this player, Griffin? I imagine not, and I don't blame you. She is uh, perhaps uh, slightly obscure. No, yeah, I can't say that I have um, heard of Queen Egbo, but I'm looking forward to learning all about her right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so she, of course, a, a former Baylor Bear. She was an NCAA champion in 2019. She was the Big 12 sixth player of the year in 2020. And so that's, I think, what I'm looking for is someone who can come off the bench, so to speak, and from, uh, from an activity standpoint and bring that energy in a timely manner. And the reason that she caught my eye, Griffin, is because I was looking at, uh, the, the, she, so she now plays for the Indiana Fever. Uh, she is a rookie in the WNBA. And I saw this game from her uh, just last week where she came off the bench and she had this stat line, four points, eight rebounds, five steals, three blocks, and four fouls. And I think that is the exact stat line I want <laughs> at the cottage. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, like you came off the bench and it's like, you don't need to, you don't need to score a lot of points. You don't need to be the center of attention. But then it's like, wow, you had five steals and three blocks. The kind of person where you look at the box score after the weekend's over, and you're like, wow, it was actually amazing to have Queen Egbo at, at the cottage this weekend. She was so much fun. And so I think that is the exact person I'm looking for. Uh, Queen Egbo, my pick for uh, for the winter activ- for the summer activity draft. Uh, perhaps the most obscure selection that we've had in one of these drafts, but one that I'm happy with. Yeah, we'll have to see how that impacts your performance in the polls, Chris. It was very shrewd of you to pick someone who, a rookie who you thought I might not be as familiar with, <laughs> uh, so that I cannot rebut your choice. But from the information that you presented to me, which I have to assume is true, I'm not saying that you would <laughs> lie. Um, I'm not throwing that out there to any potential voters that Chris is a known mm-hmm. liar. Um, mm-hmm. That would be very uncouth of me. But mm-hmm. that... Yeah, it's a solid strategy, and Queen Eggbo certainly sounds like she would be a, a delightful accompaniment to the cottage, if any of that is true, um, which it probably <laughs> is. She it probably is a real is. person. <laughs> There's no reason to think that it's not. She is a real person. I Googled her when I saw uh, 
her name on your list. Um, but I our next say, category, um, Chris. Oh, well, no, I no. Just, continue I your say, thing. Uh, a terrific name, also one of oh, yeah. one of the great athlete names. But also, I'm. It must be pointed out an unfortunate headshot for her, like official WNBA portrait. And I will say no more on the matter. All right, we'll leave that up to our uh, listeners to go out there and search up. Poor Queen Egbo. Chris already taking shots at his own team. <laughs> well, that's actually that's sort of like my friendship style. Is sort of like I like I like a little bit of good natured ribbing, uh, all with love, of course. So uh, I think that that is in keeping with my friendship style. That is very true, Chris. That is your friendship style, and it hurts. I hope you know that it hurts the people <laughs> that you love. Um, <laughs> uh, Speaking of hurting, this next one might induce a bit of a tummy ache, Chris, but a staple of the, uh, maybe our lovely neighbors to the south, but we are calling this a Canada Day hot dog eating contest. Uh, do you watch the hot dog eating contest on TV every year, Chris? I have started doing it the last couple of years. <laughs> it is a sight to behold. It's a great way to put it. I can't say I've ever tuned in live for the hot dog event. I certainly keep track of it. I hear about it every 4th of July. Um, you know, we all respect and love Joey Chestnut, one of the greats uh, to ever do it in the game. That's Greatest not athlete my of all time. Sure. If you're that talking about not... pure dominance over field against his average competitor, he's in that conversation. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Greatest athlete of all time. I think that's fair to say. Um, I, this is not a Connor McDavid going skating with me situation, Griffin. I have not selected the most dominant athlete in their sport to, to compete here. Uh, Griffin, I have a question for you before I announce my pick. What, how would you describe the shape of a hot dog? I would say that it is cylindrical in nature. Right. So sort of like a, like a, a tube, like a, a long skinny thing that you can sort of like hold in your hand and you're sort of like tossing them back. You're, you're trying to eat as many of these as possible. <laughs> you're throwing them down your throat. Okay. I, I have a feeling I, I might know where you're going with this. And but... accuracy is the name of the game here, Griffin. And that is why. <laughs> you son <laughs> That is why, for my hot dog eating contest, I have selected you the wouldn't. PDC World you <laughs> The many, many time major winner, 79, something like that. Phil Taylor is defecting from Griffin's squad. He Phil is joining up with me. He is going to eat my hot dogs for me. He is going to take those hot dog darts, and he is going to throw them down and sell it. <laughs> And we are going to achieve victory in this category. And I know, Griffin, that you are already emotionally broken here, and you cannot hope to defeat me. I am emotionally broken. I will tell you why it's a terrible pick, though. Uh, because <laughs> the motion of throwing a dart is a flick of the wrist forward. That is what Phil Taylor is excellent at. A flick of the wrist backwards to get the dart to get the hot dog into his own mouth. That's going to go against so admit, every instinct so that he has. That a hot dog is like a dart. That's all I need. Uh, it's a, it's much bigger. It doesn't have the the <laughs> fletching on it to help it fly straight. He's going to suffer without that. And it's the reverse of everything that he's trained his entire life to do to be the greatest in the world at. Um, I have the so utmost. If you take the greatest film. in the world 
at doing something and then tell them to do it the opposite way, I think it stands to reason that they're going to be the worst in the world at that. So I think you have picked the worst candidate in the entire world to do this. <laughs> Unless Will Taylor would be like tossing the hot dogs into your mouth, Chris. You could, could maybe set it up that way. Or he could, uh, I think one of the great things about Phil Taylor is his mastery of angles. I think he could bounce a hot dog off of a surface and back into his mouth. Also, uh, of course, famously, darts are always bouncing around. Yeah, and also darts not really a speed-based competition. It's not about <laughs> how many darts you can throw as fast as possible. It's about taking your time, taking a breath, and loving it accurately. So, Chris, I respect what you're going for, but I think you, I think you're just like you're new to the worship of Phil Taylor. You don't just really get where his greatness comes from. So, I, I see what you're going for, but I am also going to go with a repeat selection. Because a hot dog contest is a matter of tenacity. It's a mental game. No human being is designed to eat that many hot dogs. <laughs> no one can handle it. But you can't let the hot dogs defeat you. So just like I correctly understood the concept of snow shoveling, I have correctly understood a hot dog eating contest. So once again, come on down. The Bulldog, Patrick Beverly, is joining my team as my hot dog eating companion. And he is going to stare that giant pile of hot dogs in the face and say, no problem. Easy work for Patrick Beverly, the toughest mind in sports. <laughs> I think, of once again, Griffin, you have incorrectly assessed Patrick Beverly's legitimacy <laughs> as one of the hardest working people in sports. I think the biggest problem, actually the biggest advantage to you, Griffin, I will concede it here. Patrick Beverly, a huge mouth. It's <laughs> true. A major competitive <laughs> advantage here. Um, you know, but I think really Griffin that I have already won this category. I think once Phil and I walk in arm in arm, and sit down at the hot dog eating table that you're just going to burst into tears and be so so devastated that Phil has switched sides on you. I, you Phil, Phil had no choice in the matter. You broke <laughs> you broke an unwritten rule. You gave me the first pick in the... Uh... Yep. Um, I absolutely did. And I also put the hot dog eating contest earlier in the draft so that I, I wouldn't get scooped by you. Uh, yes. well, I, I actually, to me. full disclose, I did have Phil picked for a later category, of course, but I guess I'm going to have to do an emergency rewrite, Chris. I know it's not Phil's fault. He was, he like, the draft system is not big on athletes' rights. If Phil, if it had been sure. a free agency system, Phil would have signed with me for a vet minimum because he loves being on my team. We've established this. It's a great culture <laughs> over here on Griffin's team. But we'll move on. I'll overcome. Uh, I still, even though emotionally it's devastating, I still pick the correct candidate. So, sure, absolutely. Uh, I think, I, I will say, I love, love the pick, Griffin. I think that we it will be a, a great bout. Uh, but another activity, Griffin, I think that people might say that this is similar to the Cottage Weekend, but I think there are it's a very distinct uh, difference, even though it might be a distant cousin of the cottage weekend, which is the camping trip. And I think I'm actually going to amend this. If you don't have any objections to like a canoe trip, is that, is your pick in line with that? Or should we keep it to a camping trip? I, that just seems like a different kind of car uh, camping you know, and canoe camping are very different experiences. That seems like a very Sudden last second suite. I think you're mad that you lost last time. And you're 
throwing all all these wrinkles to try and throw me off my game. I just had that thought. I thought that that would be, you know, my uh, wonderful brother-in-law, Eric. He is uh, a regular canoe tripper. Uh, I've been on a few canoe trips in my day. It might surprise you to know, Griffin. Uh, I, I just think that that is an enjoyable permutation of the camping experience. And if you would rather just keep it to a normal camping trip, that's okay with me. Uh, Chris, you're just... you're un, maybe unknowingly venturing right into my wheelhouse because I am certainly experienced with canoe tripping. I spent 24 days on the Blood Vein River uh, when I was 16 years old, crossing the border from northern Ontario into Manitoba, finishing at Lake Winnipeg. Uh, I have spent more than 200 days total on canoe trips in my <laughs> lifetime over my years at summer camp, so uh, I might just draft myself. Um, excellent. I am a multi-time champion of Camp Candelor's Paddle Around the Lake uh, wow. regatta uh, with different partners. Um, I'm a menace <laughs> in the bow. I'm, I was the head of canoeing. In the bow? For, I mean... In, in my early uh, years, I was just the motor in the bow, but the bow, the bow, then I became head of canoeing for Camp Candelor, which if you go to Camp Candelor, you know how prestigious a position that is. Head of canoeing vital because every child at Candler goes on a canoe trip and head of canoeing's job is to get them ready for that canoe trip uh-huh. when they're out in the wilderness. Uh-huh. I'm excellent in white water. Um, I think Dan Shaver would crush your ass. I don't know who that is. <laughs> he was just a guy who taught me canoeing once. <laughs> oh, well, is he orca certified? Because I am. Of uh, course he is, Griffin. Well, Come anyway, um, I'm still going <laughs> to stick with my pick of myself. No, uh, Chris, do you are you on TikTok? I am not on TikTok. I have the app. I don't really look at it. You might not know this about our next athlete, Chris, but they are incredible. Uh, they're incredibly resourceful. They're good with their hands. They are a good builder. Um, and that is because this person, who brings a lot of those characteristics that you would want on a trip, uh, they're funny, they're interesting, and they, they've got an eye... For architecture, they know how to set up a good tent, set up a good campsite, because the uh, materials around the campsite are as important as the tent themselves. Uh, Chris, do you know of any NBA players who are Lego masters? Because I do. Uh, so I, I am taking oh, Miles Turner? Turner of the Indiana Pacers with my pick. Uh, if you check out Miles Turner on TikTok, he, is, he builds massive, massive Lego sets very well, oh. just seems really into it. Uh, so I'm going to take Miles Turner as someone who can take that skill set and build it up with me. And also, I mean, he wouldn't even need a paddle if we're going canoeing. He could just stick his massive hands in the water and push the boat sure. that way. So uh, Miles Turner, very comfortable. Yeah, I think he might have some issues perhaps fitting in the boat. But uh, Griffin, I went in a not, not a similar direction, but I did go with an NBA player as well. Uh, Griffin, you know me, I'm not someone who likes to do a lot of work. <laughs> and so naturally, uh, the, the, the camping trip and the canoe trip are a problem for me. You know, I, I'll, I'll help out, uh, in a, in a camping situation, of course, but, you know, I don't really like to be, uh, the, the lead, the lead person on these things. And so I have chosen someone who never, ever, Griffin, runs from the grind. Uh, someone who loves to talk about how much they work and loves to uh, loves to put in the hours, loves to be up early, a major component of uh, a camping trip. You're rising with the sun. So, Griffin, I have selected one of my nemeses, 
Jimmy Butler to join <laughs> my squad here and go on the camping trip with me. You know he would be up early making some bacon and like I think you know camping. It makes me think of Survivor Griffin, uh, one of my favorite television programs, and. Jimmy Butler seems like just go ahead and rub your root against that pop filter. That's perfect. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Jimmy Butler, someone who would love to put himself in the provider role because it's not like it's not doing it because you want to do it, but it's doing it because you'll get the clout of having been the person that provided for everyone or the person that did the most work in the canoe or carried the most stuff on the portage or whatever. And so I think that. Because he likes to be recognized for his hard work, I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to praise Jimmy for all he's doing, for being up at 3 a.m. for his workout, uh, and he will be my my canoe trip mastermind. Yeah, it's interesting to me, Chris. I believe the last time we did this draft when we talked about Patrick Beverly, you described Jimmy Butler as a fake version of all the things that you just praised him for being. So uh, that's interesting to me that you would pick someone like that who I think once the chips are down on a camping trip, you discover the truth about the people who talk a big (laughs) game and maybe Jimmy Butler will go out and you guys will be like, man, Jimmy, really, we really need your help loading the boats this morning. And he'd be like, Hey guys, I went out and I built a bow and arrow out of sticks. Look at how (laughs) natural I am. And you're like, that's great, Jimmy. You worked really hard on that, but that's not what we need right now. So I think that's the kind of experience you're going for with Jimmy Butler, which is not the experience I would want on my camping trip. But, uh, you, hey, you, you are uh, so cruel. <laughs> me, I'm just, I'm just uh, giving my honest analysis here. That's what the podcast is for: uh-huh. analyzing sports, analyzing athletes, uh-huh. and we don't hedge. Uh, Griffin, we'll turn to you for this next category. This is, I will say, a sport, <laughs> so uh, it's it's even less of an activity than usual <laughs> for this draft. But this is, you know, a, a summertime staple. I feel like. You're going down to the park, uh, you're getting on that melty blacktop, and you are playing some pickup hoops in the park. Uh, I assume that you did not select a basketball player for this, Griffin. Who is your pick to pick up hoops with? Oh, well, that's a great question, Chris. I mean... Thank you. I assume this is a two-on-two game. Uh, That's a great question, actually. Yeah, we can say it's a two-on-two game. Sure. I mean... There's a massive handicap for me over you, but hopefully your pick will be enough to overcome uh-huh. that talent disparity. Right. Of course. Yes. <laughs> well, Chris, if I know myself, I am 5'9". I'm a perimeter player, Chris. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sure. a good uh, – I'm a dog on defense, kind of like Pat Bev. Um, but I need someone to compliment me. So I am going to take New York Giants relief pitcher Sean Higeli. I'm not pronouncing that Giants. last name correctly. Or, pardon me, the San Francisco Giants, formerly hmm. the New York Giants. I'm a baseball sure. historian. The New York baseball Giants. Uh, yes. Uh, so, Sh- San Francisco Giants reliever Sean, H-J-E-L-L-E is his last name. Uh, the tallest player in, or tied for the tallest player in MLB history at six foot 11. Uh, wow. So, that's my pick because he's six foot 11 and he <laughs> is sure. an athlete. So, that's basically all I need, I think. Sure, absolutely. I think that's a great pick, Griffin. You have made a fatal miscalculation, though. Can you go ahead and spell Sean's last name for me? H-J-E... Stop right there. What did you say? H-J? 
Why, Griffin, you play right into my hands. Sean House and Janelle. <laughs> Sean would never betray me. A fellow. Oh, you this is an interesting conversation to have about picking athletes who would betray. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, so fine. I'll I take Aaron Judd. <laughs> <laughs> same exact pick. same reasoning except probably more athletic you know what i am i'm switching my pick to aaron judge <laughs> he seems like he's good at basketball uh he's i think six foot seven or six foot eight mm-hmm. very strong probably stronger than any hj um come on so don't say that about steven my brother <laughs> <laughs> shout out the only good house in june steven oh um on. that's might be true uh, no it's not true uh griffin I went for I went in a different direction here. I think with pickup hoops, the the biggest difference is going to be the athleticism. You know, I've played in some some pickup basketball games. I am of course a stationary corner shooter. And given that you picked Connor McDavid as the person to but go for a skate with, I'm pick. expecting LeBron James for <laughs> pickup basketball. Uh, well, Griffin, you have inadvertently spoiled my pick here because I think when I see someone dominate at a pickup basketball game, it is the person who is just faster than everyone else, can get to the rim and get layups, can beat people one-on-one off the dribble, and there's no one who has that burst of acceleration more than Connor McDavid, one of the fastest skaters in the National Hockey League. I'm sure you're going to say something about how we don't know if he's actually good at running... (laughs) Because it's a very different motion, different muscle We only groups. know that he's a fast skater, but I have faith in Connor that he will have the burst of speed. So I'm just giving him the ball and getting out of the way. We're going to spread the floor. We're going to uh, get the switch. So we're going to have Connor on Aaron. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you'd be much better at guarding him. So we're going to get the switch on Aaron, uh, the small onto the big, and Connor is going to blow by him for the layup. And then every so often he'll pass to me and I'll brick a three. Um, yeah, I just think it's, to me, Connor McDavid seems like the type of person who played hockey since he was two years old and has never done anything else in his entire life. Uh, so I'm not sure if he's ever even touched a basketball court. I'm sure you're Google imaging Connor McDavid basketball or something <laughs> I like that right now. Connor McDavid basketball right now. Um, I don't think that he's going to be uh, familiar with the dribble moves. He seems like he's got like an ugly, ugly shot form. Uh, and I think that anytime he... Even if he does blow by Aaron Judge, that's a lot of length, a lot of wingspan, a lot of height to try and get up. He's certainly not dunking, so he's going to have to lay it up, and Aaron Judge is going to be swatting that, and then Judge is just going to back him down. I think McDavid might be, I think he's around six feet. Judge has seven inches uh, on him, and yeah, I think that that's not really close. Another easy win for me. That's interesting, Griffin. And I will guessing you. based on your silence, your Google of Connor McDavid basketball has turned up absolutely nothing. Well, Griffin, I would invite you to look at our mutual employer Sportsnet, uh, a great article here. Uh, the title of which is "Football and Basketball Coaches on How McDavid's Skill Transcends the Hockey World." Uh, maybe you can read that, Griffin. There's some some quotes okay, here. We're, from tr- we're trying to say he's Steve Nash now. Come on, Justin. Alleman, a basketball development coach who has worked with Team Canada, Kia Nurse, and Raptors 905. He's talking about the the stop-and-go motion, Griffin, the change of direction, the change of speed. We know how important that is for a guard uh, on the dribble penetration. Uh, Oh, he says that Connor's deception with the puck 
would would relate nicely to the sorry deception with the what (laughs) with the with the sports object (laughs) now chris uh i know that you are a long time nba watcher so it sort of it's shocking to me that you've never picked up on this before uh, but most basketball not played on ice so i'm not sure how your good friend connor's skating skills are exactly supposed to translate uh, I think we all know the, the typical hop- hockey body that Connor McDavid almost certainly has. Big quads, a big butt, that driving power. That is not a basketball body, Chris. They do not look the same. Yeah, there are certainly no notable basketball players with big butts. Okay, but not used for the same purposes. It's not a so muscle group. What what skill would you say Aaron Judge has that makes him such Size. a great... Uh, is it, is it Size is and strength. in the field? How speedy he is in the field. Of course, famously a great fielder, Aaron Judge. He's got a great arm because he's big and strong, and he obliterates I'm baseballs. Sure. He's got great hand-eye. Uh, I'm sure he could really throw the basketball the hoop very hard. You're right. Uh, <laughs> well, if you can Google Connor McDavid basketball, I'm going to Google Well, while, while you do that, I will move on to our final uh, element here, our final draft, which is uh, um, a more pensive activity, Griffin. Uh, the act of stargazing, laying out under the stars at night. Maybe we'll get a blanket. We'll go to one of Toronto's many lovely parks, and we're going to lay it under the stars. We're probably going to have some chats about our life, uh, and and that is what we're going to do, quite frankly. Uh, is, it, is it my turn to pick first here? I do not imagine you will have my pick here, but I want to be respectful. Oh, sorry. Uh, just before we move on, Chris, uh, Aaron Judge, very interestingly, was a three-sport star at Linden High School, including, obviously, on the baseball team. He was a wide receiver for the football team. Seems like some speed probably involved there. And a center for the basketball team. Led the team in points per game with 18.2. Uh, various colleges recruited Judge to play football. Uh, but he ended up going the baseball way, but certainly Wait, comfortable. Very sports recruited him to play what? Football. It's proving oh. that he is a multi-sport athlete and is more than comfortable outside of a baseball diamond. Griffin, you're absolutely right. And I'm just going to concede the draft right now. I'm so sorry. Thank you. <laughs> well, that'll do it for today's episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. No, no, no. We still need to pick our stargazers. Uh, and Griffin, I have sort of... This is maybe a bit of a weird choice. I I had the right class of player, but I just needed to pick the right one. This is Griffin based on one of my favorite tweets of all time from Denny Carter. I will read it to you verbatim here. Uh, typical QB tweet. Love my teammates. God is good. RB tweet. Keep grinding. Tight end tweet. Derp. And wide receiver tweet. The enemy speaks kindly and holds a knife. <laughs> um, of course... The wide receiver Griffin, one of the the most thoughtful members of of the sports world, I think it's fair to say. But I don't just want someone who's thoughtful. I, I thought about Stefan Diggs, but I feel like his personality might be a little too volatile uh, for for the the stargazing situation. So I went with someone who I don't know that much about, but just seems like a chill guy. Cortland Sutton, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. You know he's out in Denver, so you know he's. Uh... <laughs> That's my uh, smoky weed sound effect. Uh, you know, he just seems like he would be he'd be a chill guy. Of course, he has the classic wide receiver mentality of being being thoughtful and maybe sort of thinking about the world in a broader sense. So 
I would love to hang out with Cortland Sutton under the stars and uh, and have a stargazing sesh with him. You know, Chris, that's a solid pick. I feel like you just sort of maybe Googled most random wide receiver in the NFL and just <laughs> picked that. There's nothing really that I can say about the personality of Cortland Sutton. Um, I went with someone who I thought, like I want someone who might have a bit of knowledge about the stars, but mostly I think like you were certainly hitting on there, the key to stargazing is a good conversation. So I went with someone who I would be honored to even be in the presence of and would love to talk to uh, for hours on end just to hear his thoughts on life and the world. I chose the NBA's all-time leading scorer, Chris Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, wow. as my stargazing partner. I think that sitting there with Mr. Abdul-Jabbar looking out at a great night sky. We're in the country here. We're not in the city. And just hearing his stories about his life, um, his friendship with Muhammad Ali, his thoughts on winning time, um, <laughs> the two the two tenors, from... uh, his great... Yeah, the two pillars of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's life as he was friends with Muhammad Ali and he was depicted on that show. No, but he's, uh, a, he's a hugely important civil rights figure. Uh, a cancer survivor, I believe. I just I could listen to him for hours. So I think that this is another easy dub for me, and I'm am willing to use Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's legacy for my gain in this contest. Yeah, I mean Griffin, I think that that is a slam dunk selection. Not to uh... I think it's a skyhook selection. Uh huh. Exactly. Uh, I I love the pick. If I were in in the interest of uh, tearing you down, as you oh. seem to be for me. I would maybe say that like <laughs> you, no, because you started all of this, but please, please <laughs> so try. Not true. Uh, well, just just that you know when you know when you're lying out uh, looking up at the stars and there's sort of that like moment of silence, the lull in the conversation, and you sort of get afraid to say anything. I feel like that would be the whole time with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like I would literally just be like laying there with like my hands by my sides, like completely still being like, <laughs> "Please talk, Kareem. I don't want to say anything in your Petrified presence. Don't make me look stupid." Anything that might make him think, "Oh, this guy." Yeah, I do. I do see where you're coming from. The level of respect is so high that it might take away my ability to contribute to the conversation. Um, but. You know, I think that it, anyone would be more than happy to just quietly <laughs> sit and listen to Kareem wax poetic about the stars or whatever he felt like talking about. Yes. All right, Chris, would you like to run down our teams here before we go, before we finally release our listeners? And maybe next week we'll be friends again. But Hopefully, Lord willing. Um, yeah, I will run down my picks here. I will say, Griffin, you know what, Griffin? I don't even think we need to put this to a vote. I'm going to declare you the winner in the spirit of what? of good competition and good friendship. I think that you had some really terrific, inspired picks here. I will run down my list, but I'm well, Chris. Just before you do well, that, I want to thank you. That's very classy of you. Um, I think that goes a long way for our podcast's future. Just to get this out of the way. So, in that spirit. I would like to declare you a great wow. second place. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, the bronze medal meme, highly applicable here. I'm popping the champagne, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um, my list, Griffin, the second place list. Uh, I'm taking Queen Eggbo to my cottage weekend. Still think that's an inspired choice. Uh, Phil Taylor is breaking you mentally. 
at the Canada Day hot dog eating contest. You're not going to get away with this again. I hope you know this is a long time. <laughs> Jimmy Butler is not running from the grind on my canoe trip. Connor McDavid is slashing into the paint in this pickup hoops game. And <laughs> the most random wide receiver in the NFL, <laughs> maybe the most random WR1, Cortland Sutton, is going to join me for a stargazing sesh. Hey, Russell Wilson going to be arriving in Denver this year. Cortland Sutton might explode. You might be buying low just the right time on Cortland Sutton. Um, but my team, Chris, declared the winner very graciously by you. I feel like you really undercut all my celebrations. I'm oh, sure this was also on. part of your nefarious plan. Uh, the Cottage Weekend, I am taking the great Natalie Spooner. Uh, the hot dog eating contest. I am once again taking my eternal teammate, apparently, uh, Patrick Beverly. Sounds I need like to point fun. out, I don't really like, but <laughs> he fits a lot of these categories well, and I'm, I'm not going to let personal biases stand in the way. Uh, camping slash canoeing, I'm going to take Miles Turner. Uh, pickup hoops, I am taking Aaron Judge. And stargazing, I am going to hang out on edge the entire time with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> I love the picks, Griffin. I love you as a friend. You're oh, my God. Uh, this is a big moment. You. I'm so glad I got that on mic. <laughs> I'm going to cut it out of the podcast. Um, but I think that will have to do it for today's episode. Like you said, we ran a little long, but it was all worth it. Uh, we will be back next week, probably talking some more uh, exciting playoff series and hopefully... Uh, Showing some more love to each other, you know, because isn't that what the world is all about? It's about loving your neighbor. So true. And there's too much of a hater culture, like you said, Chris. we got to respect so the fact that we're a couple of all-time greats, both in our primes. Yes, exactly. And, well, maybe not in our primes. Maybe still in the upswing. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you're much older than me, so you might be in your prime. You hate you so much. That will do it for today's episode of High Flow Low Ceiling. You can follow us at HFLC Podcast on uh, various platforms, including Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Uh, follow Griffin at Griffin Porter ninety seven. Uh, continue to listen to the OUA in conversation. I've podcast. noticed that I will you not only let it go. the OUA podcast done for the year. I think you only keep mentioning it. Mentioning it so that you don't feel as bad about mentioning your other podcast. That is absolutely correct. You're right. Uh, listen to my podcast, <laughs> Got the Runs, and Bevy of Bevies. Uh, you can check those out. Follow me at C House and Jan on Twitter. And until next time, please keep your floors high and your ceilings low.